so as the, as the seeds uh, gather and, and get ready to head out, I'm going to ask Brad uh, the same question that I asked Matt uh, just uh, as we come to hear from Brad around your relationship with God. Now, I know I, I prepared, to told you what I was going to ask you, but I thought I might actually change and, and challenge you a little bit. Um, perhaps if you could tell us in relationship with God, what has, not necessarily what is something that you, you re, you're really loving about your relationship with God at the moment, but what has been something that's been challenging in your relationship with God? Not necessarily bad, but challenging in relationship with God that's maybe, you know, caused you to try and dig a bit deeper or approach things in a new way or, or it might just be something that somebody said that made you think. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's funny you ask that because I was, I was going to talk about the challenges anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, I, you know, I have to be very honest, in your relationship with God sometimes is a great challenge, isn't it? Um, and uh, there's some particular situations, I'll, I'll share more uh, later on around uh, some of the, the situations that uh, some of our neighbours are facing, and in particular uh, some of our neighbours in the, in the det- uh, detention centre on the road, that, um, that, that sometimes do make you feel like you're, whether it's um, in the, 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 uh, the things you do to support people or or when you come to God in prayer, make you feel like you're, you're banging your fists up against a brick wall, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and there are times where you just have to sit with that and, and know that, uh, that what we see around us isn't always, you know, I mean, we can talk about um, that, uh, you know, everything happens as it's God's will and, you know, this is, um, you know, God's in control and, and everything like that. But when I look at some of the situations and some of the, the, the lives and, and uh, things that are happening to people, I realise that not everything that happens around me is God's will. And, and I remember that Jesus taught us to pray um, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that, that this what we see around us isn't the way God wants things to be, at least not yet. And and so when I look at the lives of people around me, um, when I come to praying, sometimes I feel more like the psalmists who, who just cry out, "How long, O oh Lord? You know, how long is it going to be like this? How long until your your um, justice prevails?" And that's a challenge. Um, and it's a challenge to be in that that space, but it's a, a place that sometimes we we have to be. Yeah. There's you know there's 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 times where we, we need to sit and, and uh, see God's work around us too, of course. That, that's the, the other side of the, the coin and, and uh, ways that, uh, yeah, we need to rejoice in that, of course. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Great. Thank you for sharing that. It oh, fits so much into some of the reflections I've been having re- recently. And let me get out of the way. I'm going to hand over to Brad and, and Brad's going to share for us. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Jono. And uh, and I do want to say uh, before I start a couple of things. 
thank you uh, for having us out, um, and n- not just for for um, having you know allowing uh, us to come out and you know preach um, uh, this morning, but uh, for Williamstown Church of Christ and your support uh, of our our uh, journey out in Unite Broad Meadows uh, along the way, and the opportunity to share with you you know what's what's going on is really important uh, to us. So yeah, thank you. I do also just want to begin, like to begin um, by acknowledging the space that uh, we're on and acknowledging the uh, the traditional owners uh, of this space, it's the Wurundjeri people uh, of the Kulin Nation and uh, I just give, give my respects to uh, their people, their leaders, elders, past and present. I've been arrested twice in my life is probably not the words you want to hear from a visiting preacher. <laughs> the first time was uh, a, uh, a uh, early December evening in 2013, and I, I had uh, <coughs> taken one of one of our neighbours. He'd, he'd only recently um, come to our neighbourhood uh, of an Indian background, so he was right into cricket. So I took him to uh, cricket practice at the local cricket club to try to connect him in there and I dropped him home and as I was driving home uh, from uh, his place I was preparing to turn into a side street that would lead onto the, the main road and, and as, I pre- as I was uh, getting ready to turn I noticed a car coming up the other way and it was a one way street so I thought that's a bit, a bit odd I thought it was the other end eh, doesn't matter I'll, I'll go on to the next uh, turn and so I kept driving and uh, I soon noticed that there are two police cars behind me with their lights flashing. And so I thought, they look like they're in a hurry, I'll pull over and let you go past. And so I pulled over, and so did they. And, uh <laughs> and uh, I was a bit puzzled, I got out of the car, and when I got out of the car, eight police officers got out of the two cars and, uh, and came towards me. One of them had a... Uh, microphone that, that they pointed towards me and and uh, <laughs> and he, he read me the rights. You're under arrest, you have the right to remain silent, anything you say or do may be used against you at a court of law, all that uh, stuff. And I must say I was a bit stunned at this point and I probably looked at, they said, you know why we're arresting you? And I said, uh, no. And he said, well, he explained to me, you know, you've, you've been, uh, you know, evading police. You came the wrong, you drove the wrong way right down the road and, uh, and so on. And it slowly dawned on me that they were after this other car that I'd seen in the, the one-way street a moment earlier. And so I began to explain to them, you know, where I'd been and what had happened. And they, they took my license and said, will you wait in the car while we check you out? And, and so they did. And... A few moments later, the police officer dashed up to my car, chucked the water license in the window and said, you're all right, you can go now, and they took off, and in a moment, they were gone. <laughs> Presumably, they were after the real bad guy. Now, uh, that story really has nothing to do with uh, what I'm talking about today, but it's a, good, a fun story to tell. <laughs> the second time I was arrested, though, was a little bit different, actually. I still remember uh, walking up the, the steps uh, into the office building of the then opposition leader, Bill Shorten. It was, it was May 
2014, uh, 2014, sorry. And with this sense of fear and, and trepidation, uh, as I walked up the stairs, I was part of a group that day of, of ministers, uh, Baptist ministers, Pentecostals, uh, uniting. Uh, a Catholic nun uh, was with us, and and we were there because we were deeply concerned that uh, there were over 1,200 at that time uh, children being held in Australia's detention centres, uh, both uh, offshore in uh, Nauru and here in Australia, including just down the road from my uh, place in Broadmeadows. <coughs> and at the same time uh, that day, there was, a, there was a, another group who were doing a similar thing in uh, the then Prime Minister's office uh, in Manly, uh, Tony Abbott. And, and so we, we went uh, into their office and, and uh, simply uh, to, to uh, sit down and pray. Pray for the, the children who were locked up in detention. Pray for the, the uh, you know, politicians who are uh, on, on both sides of the, you know, both uh, major political parties at that time. And, um, and, and pray and commit to doing so until that situation changed. Now, of course, uh, nothing changed that day, and, uh, and uh, around 7.30 that night, police came into the office and arrested us and, and took us outside. I have to tell you that to this day, it's the longest day's work I've ever done in my life in an office. Um, now, n now I know that uh, you know different people have have different views on on actions uh, like that, but we were there because we saw that something was deeply wrong and it needed to be challenged. We were there because um, you know, we we felt that this was an emergency and it needed to be brought into you know, the public consciousness that uh, we needed to see that this situation. 1,200 children locked up. It was an emergency. You see, we saw that if, if locking children up like this was the status quo, then the status quo uh, had something deeply wrong with it and needed to be challenged. Now, I know you've been talking about the status quo and uh, in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, the way I see it, the status quo is the, the state of normality, you know, the way things are. Um, the state of normality that is upheld by uh, those in power. And as Christians, aren't we called to look critically at the status quo through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of, of Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and to challenge the status quo in our existence. Now, just like walking up the steps of Bill Shorten's office, I come to this topic with a little bit of fear and trepidation because it's, it's not a light topic, is it? Um, and I reflect on, uh, so today I'll be talking on ministry that challenges the status quo. And uh, I reflect on uh, the... the uh, the word ministry and minister um, in the New Testament 
diakonia. Uh, is, you know, literally means servant, service. If you were a servant in the New Testament times, who challenged the status quo, and things did not go well for you, actually, <laughs> uh, you'd be, you might be beaten at best, or at worst, killed. Ministry that challenges the status quo actually has consequences. So that's, that's the bad news. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but let's come to this topic with a sense of, uh, of the gravity uh, that it carries. And I want to do that by uh, just uh, looking at a few stories that we find of Jesus' ministry. And you know, we'll, we'll uh, attempt to pick a few things out learning about what ministry that challenges the status quo looks like. And I'll, I'll share a few um, examples of how that translates into our context. Ours is not the only context, and ours is certainly not, uh, you know, we don't certainly do that perfectly. But it is our context, and it's a, the stories that we come from. So I hope uh, that's helpful to you this morning. So one Sabbath day, uh, Jesus is in Capernaum, a, a, a seaside town, a village on Lake Galilee, and he goes to the synagogue. And there at the synagogue, he's confronted by a man uh, who comes uh, to him screaming, Jesus of Nazareth, what do you want with us? Have you come here to destroy us? obviously uh, out of control here. You, I'm sure you know the story in Mark chapter 1. You might even call this you know, Jesus' first act of ministry uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus uh, rebukes the, the, the man. He has an unclean spirit, we're told. He rebukes the, the spirit, silences the man and orders, commands the, the unclean spirit to come out of him and it goes. And we, and, uh, and when that happens, the people look at Jesus and, and are amazed, we're told. Now, we could look at this story and, and just see it as a, uh, you know, a, as a, a, a fantastic story of, of Jesus healing someone and restoring someone. And that's what it is. But we also have to look at the way Mark tells it, uh, because there may be some things here that Mark really wants us to see. He wants us to emphasize. And, and the clue is given both at the at the start of the story and at the end. So Mark's highlighting something to us. You see, Jesus comes into the synagogue and teaches there as one having authority. Teaches with authority, we're told. At the end, they're amazed. And, and funnily enough, they're not amazed at, at what happened. They're amazed because they look at Jesus and say, who is this? Um, he's teaching with authority. Jesus teaches with authority in this story. Well, what, what's that about, you might ask? Well, we can see in, in Mark's Gospel, only a few verses earlier, uh, what it is that Jesus is teaching. As he comes, uh, as he begins to, to preach and teach, he teaches this message of the kingdom of God. 
kingdom of God is near, he said. And we'll preach with this message at the finish, though, without spoiling any thoughts. Um, but it's, a, it's, an, it's an authority that Jesus has that is specifically contrasted with that of the scribes. The scribes are, are those, uh, you know, the, the teachers and the, the interpreters of the law in the synagogue who, um, <coughs> who, who are sort of are, are there to, to keep the synagogue, to keep the order and to represent, uh, you know, the synagogue is a, uh, like a satellite, if you like, of the, the temple in Jerusalem. It re- uh, represents the temple system. For the scribes, their authority comes from the synagogue, given by the temple. It represents the, the, the religious system, if you like. Jesus comes with a message of the kingdom, the kingship of God. And it's he who has authority. You see, when I look at this story, we might say that Jesus challenged the status quo that day because his authority was not uh, not from not about the synagogue but about the kingdom now it's not too far to jump or to to look at that story from our time and say that ministry that challenges the status quo now is about kingdom not church it's about kingdom not church now a bit uncomfortable as we, as we, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, as we sit here in a church. But we we know, we remember that that churches don't exist for themselves, do they? Churches don't exist uh, to to uh, to build up their own selves. Churches exist for what's out there, to be salt and light. Churches exist so that God's kingdom may be enacted, may be lived out, out there, beyond the walls. Ministry that challenges the status quo is about kingdom, not church. Now, um, for us, this is what it looks like. It's messy. Um, in our context in Broadmeadows, um, it's actually not about... We don't have a house church. We don't have a, a, uh, a way of, of doing church. Perhaps we will someday. Um, that'd be great. I don't know. But for us, it's about uh, <coughs> we three times a week we gather in the morning, um, usually just Matt and myself and, and my wife, Colleen, we meet and we pray and we read uh, gospel stories from the scripture and we share communion and it's it's this uh, act this act of finding ourselves in the story that drives us out that empowers us that, that sort of is the fuel for what happens in the rest of the day which is all about participating in in what God is doing in the local neighbourhood, 
and that can look like a, a bunch of things. For, for Matt, it looks, uh, you know, three days a week, like going into the local high school and, and sitting with, with kids who, who need a bit of help um, in a whole bunch of different ways. It looks like eating Bangladeshi food uh, <laughs> that is uh, that uh, our mate down the road has, has, has made. It looks like empowering um, his housemate to go in and cook food in the in the high school. Uh, for for myself, it looks like um, going into the local primary school, which which is just across uh, the road from our house. Um, getting gathering kids of uh, uh, you know primary school kids to play music, to learn guitar and, and things like that. Um, to Colleen, my wife, it looks like gathering mums and, and parents to learn English and to, and to talk about uh, different issues uh, in their lives. This is uh, creating kingdom places of welcome where, where people are welcomed and included in our community. It might look like um, in, the, in the school we have a community garden that uh, a bunch of us get into on a Thursday and uh, you know, work the ground and you know, as it... As it uh, and at the end of the day, go home with a big bunch of, of uh, fresh, homegrown veggies. They're kingdom uh, places of, of generosity and community. It might look like, uh, as, we'll talk, as I'll talk a bit more later on, um, going down the road to the detention centre where um, uh, you know, some people have been held for, for you know, coming up to Being God's justice in and, and uh, working for God's justice uh, in the local community. Living out, you know, as best we can, God's kingdom in the neighbourhood. These are some of the things it looks like. You'll have some of those uh, examples uh, in your own neighbourhoods and in your own lives. And some of those opportunities that uh, maybe ready to be taken. It's about participating in God's kingdom, not, uh, not about building a church. Here's another story. Um, just a few verses later in Mark chapter 1, we find that Jesus is travelling through the villages of Galilee, proclaiming the message he had told and casting out demons. And he's approached by a man. This man, uh, you, you can see, you can imagine, has, has marks on him. Uh, and his skin is, is uh, obviously uh, you know, reddened and, and hardened. And he has leprosy. And he comes up to Jesus and he falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. Uh, you know the story. Jesus reaches out and touches the man. He says, yes, I am willing. Be clean. The man is, is healed. Jesus uh, directs him to go and show himself to the priests at the temple. Um, and, and, and by the way, don't tell anyone. <laughs> go straight there. Let's don't pass go, all of that. And of course, the man uh, doesn't 
do that. He tells everyone what has happened to him because he's, he's so overjoyed. And as a result, we're told, uh, Jesus can no longer go into the, uh, the towns and villages, but has to stay outside of them in the wilderness, in the lonely places. See, Jesus has touched a leper, and that, in the eyes of, of, of the people, has made him unclean. Jesus, in a sense, has taken on this man's marginalization. And as a result, he himself is marginalized, can no longer go into the towns or villages, but stays out in the wilderness. But then something happens. You see, people start to come to Jesus. And there's this, this group, this community, if you like, that forms around Jesus on the margins. You see, ministry that challenges the status quo brings us to the margins. It finds us on the margins. I wonder where the marginal places are in, in your neighbourhood. I know that, that, that uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, this is something that you've, you've reflected on already. You don't need me to tell you. But I can tell you that the most marginal place in our neighbourhood is, uh, we've talked about it uh, before, is, is the detention centre, uh, MITRE, Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation, which unfortunately is not transitory for many uh, people who live there. But I remember one of my first visits um, in January or, or early February 2012, and... <coughs> I went. Uh, I went to visit with a, a friend of mine, Ashley, and a, a new group of men had uh, been brought to the centre. They were um, refugees from Sri Lanka, and we sat with them that day. We we uh, spent some time and and um, and got to know them. Heard a little, you know, a little bit about their story. And then we left. And I remember thinking, as we as we left and, and drove home, these guys, you know, we'd heard that they were uh, there because of uh, you know, links with the Tamil Tigers in Sri Lanka, and, and so they were being held in detention in Adelaide. At that point, they'd been um, in detention for three years at, at various centres around Australia before they were brought to Melbourne, and I remember thinking, if only they'd made different choices, if only they hadn't got involved with this, uh, this rebel group who was, who was fighting a, a civil war um, a couple of years earlier against the, the Sri Lankan uh, government, then they wouldn't have ended up in this mess. And over the next or, uh, in fact, um, there's a, a couple who are still uh, in detention of that group. But over the next three or four years, I visited with them and sat with them, um, just talking about uh, life in Australia and talking about life in Sri Lanka, playing games, um, trying to learn language and, and being laughed at at my, my poor 
attempts to do that. <laughs> and praying. And over those years, I came to see their situation uh, in a much deeper way. I came to see that um, they, they, they didn't have a choice about about uh, many of the, the forces that were, acti- that were acting upon them. They didn't have a choice about uh, being part of a minority group that had been oppressed for, for decades in Sri Lanka. Um, they didn't have a choice about um, I- in the, the areas, uh, the Tamil areas where they were from in, in Sri Lanka, everyone had some kind of, uh, of link to a relative or neighborhood connection because you know tigers were just um, were, were part of the the, uh, the community organizing uh, groups in all of those places they didn't have choices about that uh, in some cases people had been forced to do things by um, that they didn't want to do and I came to see their situation very very differently I came to see their situation uh, through different lenses. You see, when we, when we sit with people on the margins, whether it's refugees in detention, uh, theirs is a, a particular kind of uh, situation. Uh, there's, m- there, there's many others in all sorts of different situations from all sorts of places. But when we sit with people on the because they are differently abled to us. Perhaps it's people who are marginalised because of their sexuality. Perhaps it's people who are marginalised for all sorts of reasons. We start to see things differently. We develop different lenses through which to see them and through which to see the world around us. This is not something we do. something else happens, we become people, when we, when we sit with people on the margins, we become people who can't help uh, but challenge the status quo. It changes us, it makes us want to speak out on their behalf. Because loving our neighbours in, in, in those sort of situations doesn't just mean having cups of tea, but challenging the reasons why they are marginalised for whatever reason. So ministry that challenges the status quo of that kingdom, that church, ministry that challenges the status quo brings us to the margins. Here's another story. Let me take a sip before I tell it. Immediately after the last one in, in Mark's Gospel, uh, beginning of chapter 2, we find Jesus back in Capernaum um, at his home, we're told. And there's a, the, there's a crowd that learns that Jesus is, is back. They're here and they gather around 
to the home and they, they come to Jesus for uh, and Jesus you know begins to minister among them. He's, he's healing people and doing stuff, I don't know. <laughs> and and uh, I guess gradually Jesus begins to realise that there's bits of mud and bits of stuff falling on his head, on his roof. And, I, and he might look up and, and there's, there's something happening up there in the roof. There's, there's, there's people up there and they're, they're digging a hole in the roof and they lower their friend, you know the story, right? They lower their friend uh, down into the, you know, through the roof, into the room where Jesus is because they can't get in from the outside. You see, their friend is paralyzed and he can't uh, move for himself. And so his friends bring him to Jesus through the roof. <coughs> and, and Jesus looks at the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And of course, this uh, raises a fair bit of angst for some of the people in the room. Maybe the boy that's touched outside. They're the scribes. The scribes get so uh, incensed by what Jesus has said because, well, let's think about it. You see, who defines what sins are in their world? It's the scribes. They're the interpreters of the law. They're the ones who read. I mean, scribes are the only people who can read in, uh, in, in this kind of uh, village town. They're the ones who read the law interpret it to the people and tell them who is a sinner and who is not a sinner. Now these scribes, they know Deuteronomy. They know, they know their Old Testament well. They know the, that uh, when, when people follow God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, when people follow you know, God in obedience, then they're blessed. And we, when people disobey God then they're cursed and and this sort of uh, theology which we find in the Old Testament and which by the way is is also challenged in the Old Testament in books like Job this sort of theology becomes on the street to mean that if you're someone who suffers some kind of misfortune perhaps you're you've become ill some kind of sickness. Perhaps you are, uh, are crippled like this man. Perhaps you're, you're uh, are poor. You've had a bad uh, harvest on your, your land. If, that's, if, that's, if, if you're in a situation of misfortune, then that's because God is obviously punishing you because you've been a bad person. You're a sinner, right? This is the, the theology on the street. And so this paralyzed man, obviously he's paralyzed because perhaps he's done something, or perhaps his parents, who knows? But but somewhere someone has done something wrong and he's paying the price. He's punished by God. 
And so when Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven, what right does Jesus have to say that to this man who is being punished by God? Now, of course, that's not the way Jesus said it. That's not the way we would see it. But in the eyes of the scribes, this man was not legitimate. And when Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven, it gave him back his legitimacy. This man was, was, was someone who was, was uh, said to be bad, but Jesus affirmed him. And Jesus affirmed the fact that he carried all of the, the God-given dignity and worth of anyone else's worth. You see, ministry that challenges the status quo legitimizes or delegitimizes. Ministry that challenges the status quo legitimizes or delegitimizes. last 18 months um, I've uh, been been uh, visiting a particular family in uh, Mitre in the detention centre uh, Priya and Nardis and the two girls Gobika and Veronica um, uh, Priya and Nardis had, had come to Australia um, as people seeking protection. They'd actually come separately and, and met here in Australia and married and had moved to the central Queensland town of Illawella where uh, an artist worked in the meatworks uh, there, a town that's, that's uh, crying out for, for good workers to come and, and, and work in its local industry. They had two children and uh, in March last year, their, their home was, was uh, in the early hours of, of the morning, was raided by Border Force officials and they were taken into custody. You see, they, uh, they were even put on a plane to be, to be uh, sent back to their, um, the, the country that uh, they were born in Sri Lanka. And uh, thanks to legal proceedings, that, that uh, um, uh, deportation was, was halted. And, and, and ever since that, that uh, then, they've been uh, in Mitre in Melbourne, the detention centre. And over the 18 months that I've been visiting uh, them, their, their children, Gobika and Veronica, uh, are now uh, two and four. They've both had two birthdays each um, in detention. Um, and, and there's been uh, a, a, uh, a number of health issues that have, have come up for them due to, to uh, nutrition um, deficiencies um, and inadequate access to, to uh, outside play, um, you know, vitamin D deficiencies and, and so on. had surgery removed for uh, of her front teeth because of that. Uh, we've seen um, behaviour challenges 
emerging these uh, young girls. And um, it, it sort of uh, affects sleep, affects eating, and uh, come out in, in, uh, in different ways. Um, you can see that the, the girls are, are just not getting access to you know, be able to play with other children their age, you know, age-appropriate uh, sort of play. So there's all, all these sorts of uh, challenges that, uh, that they face. Only uh, <coughs> just this week, the situation has gotten uh, more dire for uh, this family as they've um, hit the end of their legal road, their legal juridical road, to uh, stay uh, in Australia. Their case is now uh, purely at the discretion of the minister. January this year, uh, Peter Dutton said of, their, uh, of, of this family, uh, they're not refugees. Their situation, he said, is of their own making. Now, as I've gotten to know Priya and Nardis and their, you know, their two beautiful girls, I've seen that their situation is not of their own making very clearly. I've seen that their situation is, is, is made by, by global forces that are way beyond their control. War, oppression, fleeing uh, for their very safety. I've seen that their situation is made by domestic uh, forces here in Australia, by, by uh, politics that many ways have delegitimised people who have come here seeking our protection for political reasons. I've seen that um, the, the kinds of assessments used on people like Priya and Nardis are in themselves uh, flawed and, and, and much weakened, in fact, over the last few years to, to effectively make it very difficult for someone to show fact do need protection. I've seen um, and we've seen through through independent reports that it's still not safe, that there's still um, you know, torture happening in, in their home of Sri Lanka. In fact, uh, the assessments uh, say that torture, particularly for Tamil people, is routine flies in the face of words that would seek to delegitimate them and say that their situation is of their own making, just like that crippled man in Jesus' story, whose situation was said to be like, to be of his own making. So what does ministry look like? and artist and their beautiful girls Gobika and Veronica it looks like 
sitting with us, being present, praying for them, but also ministry must also look like challenging the status quo that says they are not looking right, they're not good citizens, they're not worthwhile, worthy of the same kind of treatment as you and I. Ministry that challenges the status quo. Ministry that challenges the status quo uh, refuses that kind of assessment and says they are legitimate. go through the gospel of Mark and, uh, and, and work through all Jesus' ministry examples and, and draw out a lot more uh, uh, fantastic stuff. One, one uh, story that we could go through, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief, is one where Jesus finds himself again in a synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a man with a crippled hand. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Pharisees on that occasion say to him, or, or, you know, look at him and watch to see what he'll do. And Jesus, you know the story, says, um, which is better, to take life or to forgive it on the Sabbath? And, of course, he heals the man. We look at a story like that and say that ministry that challenges the status quo loves despite the rules. And perhaps that, that captures all of what we've talked about today. Sometimes the status quo needs to be challenged. And ministry that challenges the status quo challenges the rules of the status quo and loves despite them. Perhaps I'll wind it up there. But I wonder if, if we could uh, have a, a moment to reflect uh, prayerfully. Because I've given you some examples of what that looks like for us. No doubt your situation is very different uh, to ours in, in many ways. <coughs> what, does look, what does ministry that challenges the status quo look like here in Williamstown? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like live out the kingdom? What does it look like to be found on the margins? What does it look like to legitimise the delegitimised? What does it look like to love despite the rules? Let's just take a moment a moment as this song plays to reflect to pray to ask God to give us ways to imagine ministry that challenges the status quo and then I want to pray
loving God, we uh, come before you this morning. I want to thank you that you are a God who challenges the status quo, who calls us to see a different world. calls us to imagine what this world would be like if it truly were an expression of your kingship. God, we pray that you will give us the imagination to see in, in, in the wider world around us but right here in our in our neighborhoods in our homes in our streets what it means for your will to be done and your kingdom to come on earth God, don't just give us the imagination. Give us the strength. Give us the courage to be those that would challenge the status quo. Those that would speak and live your love, your justice here in our world. We pray imagination we pray for for courage God we also pray for hope we pray for hope because we believe in a story that is about resurrection we believe that death destruction, that injustice will not have the last word. That you are a God of life, of new life, of resurrection life. And so God, thank you that we don't go from here with these challenges alone, but that you are already there for us. And we thank you for the ways this week, the opportunities this week that we have to live out your kingdom and to find you there. And we love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.